0: Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor, Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall, SI.com's Brian Strauss. In a little bit, you will hear a phenomenal interview between Grant and the always entertaining Alexi Lalas, former U.S. men's national team defender and current Fox Sports analyst, so definitely be sure to listen to that. Uh, Gentlemen, I want to start with the story of the weekend, and that would be Leicester City potentially winning the Premier League Championship at Old Trafford. Uh, That is a real sentence of a real thing that might actually happen, Grant.
1: It is, and it's pretty incredible, and it has been something that we've been building toward now for a while, and so for some people... I hate, I can't believe it, but they're like sort of getting tired of the Lester story. That's crazy. This is like the greatest soccer story we've seen in England in decades and in any type of world soccer or sports in a very long time. And so if you care about great stories, underdog stories, things that you will probably not see for a very, very long time. Watch their game on Sunday. This is appointment viewing. Any game they have the rest of the year, as it has been for the last few weeks to me, is appointment viewing because uh, it's it's just so freaking cool. Well, the stakes
0: are just so high every week, and they have been now. And, and the way that the schedule's worked out with Tottenham basically playing after them now for the last couple of weeks, and they're going to be doing that again uh, this week, it just makes, you know, you see what Leicester does in a vacuum and then how Tottenham responds and whether that's fair or not to Tottenham because of that, uh, you know, it, it just is what it is. It's the hand that everyone has dealt. Um, Brian, now there, there are a few different ways Leicester could win this thing. And I'm kind of curious on, on your thoughts and, and Grant's yours as well on, on now that we're at this position where it seems like a certainty. Uh, what's what's the preferred way? I mean, is, is winning at Old Trafford the way? Is, is having Tottenham handed to them by losing on, on Monday the way? Or, or what about winning uh, one of their final two games?
2: Uh, I think I, I don't think they're going to win it at Old Trafford. Um, Leicester City's schedule has been very kind lately, and that's no disrespect to Leicester because they're in this position because they beat some good teams too. Uh, but recently, I think the only team, I may be wrong, but I think the only team they've played uh, you know, in the past six weeks or eight weeks or so that's kind of contesting for European places, West Ham, and they needed a 90th-minute penalty kick to get a draw in that game, and that was a home game. You know, they've been playing, you know, Sunderland and Southampton and Swansea, and they were awesome against Swansea, but they haven't been playing the top of the table. Manchester United, not not the Manchester United we're used to, but a team that is still in contention uh, for a top four finish. And this game's going to really matter to them. It's going to be at home. Some pride might kick in, uh, not letting a team out, you know, not letting one of the non-blue blood clubs uh, clinch the title uh, on Old Trafford soil. And you know what? there's no rush. I mean, how amazing would the scene be uh, at King Power Stadium if they got the three points they needed against Everton uh, next weekend and and clinched it there? These fans have waited so long for this. It, we've, we've never seen anything like it. Like Grant said, I would love to see the backdrop of, you know, maybe there'll be a pitch invasion to end all pitch invasions. That place is so noisy, <laughs> so dramatic. Uh, I would love to see him do it there.
1: You know, I I agree. I would actually prefer to see them do it at Leicester in front of their home fans. The scene after the final whistle the other day, when Leicester's players just took a walk around the stadium in front of their fans and sort of basked in the adulation, was a really powerful moment. And I I should have been expecting it, but I almost I got kind of emotional watching it. It was just the coolest thing. I felt like Claudia Ranieri about to start crying, <laughs> watching this scene and. It was absolutely incredible. So I know that there's a certain section of the the Leicester fan base that would just like to get this thing done. Let's not leave it hanging and invite even the remote possibility of somehow this not happening now. But uh, So would it be cool as well to win it at Manchester United? Yeah, because of the symbolism. Uh, This is Man United, the the team that's the best-known team from England, this world juggernaut. And if Lester were to go in and win and clinch the title there, that would just say so much from a storytelling perspective. And you've got guys like Casper Schmeichel who grew up a Man United fan; his dad won so much at Man United. Uh, that would be cool. I mean, there's there's different degrees of of coolness. What would not be cool is if Lester clinched it by Tottenham losing on Monday that would not be cool at all because then you would just kind of get this, Oh, you know, it's done and, you know, great for Lester and, and you're missing the, the, the climactic scene in the movie. Right. And, and so uh, that would be my preference.
2: Well, we did, we did have those videos of Juventus players dancing on tables in their locker room, but uh, but <laughs> no, I was going to say that, that would be the, the worst case, best case scenario. Um, and And I have a, someone could Google this. I'm too lazy, but I I have a memory of a faint memory of quite a while ago uh, when Don Garber was talking about why he thought an MLS final, an MLS cup final, why that day, why that atmosphere, that tension, that scene was so important to the league was because he said something like the last thing I can imagine, I want to imagine the worst thing I can imagine is a team clinching a championship when they lose or a team clinching a championship when they don't even play, it just seemed it, he, he was baffled by why any why anyone would be excited by that. And so, yeah, it would be strange if if both lose this weekend and we're and, you know, Lester sitting around Monday evening and and clinching a title while they're on their couches. Uh, th- that would be anticlimactic. But of course, the next day when they get the tro or the next game, when they get the trophy and have the parade, everyone will forget. Uh, but, yeah, that's the uh, the worst case, best case scenario.
0: Tell you what there'd be a heck of a pizza party on Monday if uh, if, <laughs> if Tottenham loses and that's how they win it. Uh there is also of course the possibility that this gets dragged out to the last week of the season and they win it at Chelsea, the home of the defending champion, the place where Ranieri was fired, the place where where he was replaced by Mourinho who they obviously beat and then he was fired the the you know a couple of days later. Um I don't think any Leicester fan or anyone wanting this to happen wants to see this drag out to the final day and I think as as fans of, of baseball teams who all on um, we're sitting here with Alex Admos and, and Grant, you guys are, are both Kansas City fans, Red Sox fan over here from from Boston, you know, when when it gets to the point where you've waited so long to see your team win a title, you don't care where it happens. You right. can't possibly like of course, ideally your team wins it on at home and everyone's celebrating. Of course, but like at the end of the day, just win the trophy and, and secure it. If you're Manchester United, you can you can pick and choose. Uh at this point, Lester, I think just will be happy lifting the trophy anywhere. And you know what? If it happens because of a Tottenham loss the following game at, at, at Everton, the scenes before that game are going to be incredible as well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, even if they can clinch before the Chelsea game, to have the guard of honor at Chelsea, the, the defending champions, to have Ranieri coming back, to have basically your fans coming in and taking over Stamford Bridge and, and just celebrating without you know any stakes on the game i think that would be pretty cool too for him
0: um absolutely uh either way be sure to watch Lester manchester united at old trafford i believe at nine o'clock eastern time start um it's it's going to be one heck of a scene at the theater of dreams uh very aptly named for this game uh we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back it's going to be grant and alexi lalas one-on-one about just about everything
1: We've got a great guest this week. He does just about everything for Fox Sports soccer coverage, studio shows, booth analysis for games, and now even interviewing FIFA presidents and putting on a new podcast called The Mutant Gene. He's one of my favorite people in soccer. He's Alexi Lawless. Thanks for joining the pod,
3: my friend. Grant Wall, always a pleasure to talk to you about Soccer and life and everything in between. So what are, what are we talking about today?
1: <laughs> so let's let's get started. I just mentioned all of these different things you do for Fox these days. And uh, it makes me wonder, one, if you ever get any sleep, if you ever see your family, but also if you have a kind of mission statement for what you're trying to achieve in
3: these roles. Oh, mission statement. Not Not necessarily in PowerPoint form, but if I had to come <laughs> up with one right here on the spot... Um, I think I've always gone about the job with the recognition of, number one, uh, I am in the entertainment business. I am a perf- I'm a performer. And just because you say that doesn't mean that you have any less passion or honesty in the way that you go about your business, but it's a recognition that uh, when that red light turns on, there are a million other places that people could be. And how you say something is as important as what you say. But ultimately, I, I guess, uh, when, when I'm either in podcast form or on television uh, or any, any type of uh, interaction with regards to soccer and media, I want to make sure that it's informative and entertaining.
1: I like that. That is a good mission statement. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here and, and thinking about all the things you do and you're actually adding to them. You're, you're making my job obsolete as an interviewer now. Uh, of Johnny Infantino, the FIFA president recently. Um, what goes into determining what you do for Fox?
3: Well, I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, you 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 work for Fox and you've seen the way that this uh, project, shall we say, has, has grown and morphed and evolved and zigged and zagged. And I think uh, there's a recognition now that this is, not a blank canvas, but a canvas that does have spaces where you can move. And so that's a long way of saying I will do anything that they ask me to do because I love talking about soccer, and I love doing it in different ways, and I love the platform that that uh, being in in television offers me and the platform that Fox offers me, to be quite honest. I mean, I, over the last year, I've done, let's see, uh, women's, uh, women's World Cup, uh, Gold Cup, men's qualifying champions league Europa League FA Cup internationals obviously MLS you mentioned the interviews that, that that I'm starting to do now the podcast so this whole palette of stuff that ultimately is still me talking and giving my opinion on the, the beautiful world of soccer that exists out there but I don't I don't want to limit myself uh, to anything whether it's in soccer or outside of soccer I, I, I want to challenge myself and I want to see if, uh, if there's other things that I can do. And as you know, in this business, what ends up happening is we are all a bunch of, uh, you know, raging n- narcissists and <laughs> egomaniacs. And we are always scared to death that somebody's going to come along and take our job. And so it's sometimes it gets very difficult for those of us in this business to say no. And I think it's something that you learn over time to be able to say no and to be able to turn off. And I'm not sure I've mastered that yet, But I think if there's anybody listening to this that is in our business, they will know what I'm talking about because there is this this underlying insecurity because there's always somebody coming along that can take your place. Whether they do it better or not, or they do it cheaper remains to be seen. But there is somebody that's always going to come along. And so you you always feel that pressure when asked to do something more. So of all the things you're
1: doing these days, what do you enjoy most? What do you find the most challenging thing?
3: I am a studio rat, um, I have, that's where I, I feel most comfortable when that red light turns on and I have limited time and therefore I have to edit myself to be able to say something succinctly, uh, hopefully articulately and, um, and interesting and, and make sure that it's interesting and entertaining like I said. So I, I think that's where I'm most comfortable. However, I, I, I started doing games again I, way back in 2000. I took a uh, well, I stepped aside from my playing career, and I ended up doing regional broadcasts for the San Jose Earthquakes and doing uh, color commentary. And after that year, I never did it again until this past year when I moved over to Fox from ESPN, and they asked me to do it. And it is a very very different type of performance, and it takes a little while to get back in the swing of things. Luckily, I was paired with a, a wonderful man. And friend and colleague in John Strong, who has been very patient with me and also very <laughs> accepting of the fact that, that I do games in a little different way because of my studio background. And I've, I've enjoyed it much more, but it was, a will be honest, it was a difficult transition to make because it is such a different type of performance. But if you just ask me what I'm most comfortable with and what I love the most, it's when I'm, let's say, in the middle of a, a tournament and I'm in my Thirtieth day, uh, living this groundhog day existence, and uh, and I'm talking about the players and all the stories on and off the field. And that red light turns on, and I got my makeup on and uh, and my armor, which is my my suit and tie, and then and then we go at it. Which is what you'll be doing, right,
1: during Copa America coming up?
3: Uh, yes, to plug yes. Our so Copa America over. this summer, uh, as I think it's being billed, and rightfully so, the biggest men's soccer tournament to come to these shores since the 1994 World Cup uh came men's world cup came and certainly i would think a prelude hopefully to a return of the men's world cup possibly in in 2026 but also a great opportunity for jürgen Klinsman and the national team and for us at fox to be presenting this uh this tournament and this unique tournament being uh the centenario copa america centenario so i will be once again back in in tournament mode where it is that groundhog day getting up getting your research done Doing your performance, going, getting some drinks, and then doing it all over again the next day, over and over and over. and it's, and it's a wonderful type of existence. Drinks and oysters,
1: I yes, might of course, add. Of after uh, our general, I'll, I'll tell a quick story based on our women's World Cup experience in Vancouver last year. That uh, not only with most nights uh, we go and get drinks after the show, we would order oysters, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually, uh, if we were getting dinner. Someone would tell the wait staff that it was your birthday. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yes. Usually Rob oh, yeah, Stone. I had about 40 birthdays in Vancouver this summer. And <laughs> it started with Rob Stone and he just continued. And so I have this incredible collection of photos from Vancouver, different establishments around Vancouver, with me just sitting in front of a uh, whatever it is, a, a cupcake or a cookie <laughs> or, a, or an ice cream with the one candle, just looking. Nonplussed and uh, having gotten over it after the first seven times, and yet knowing that I have to kind of grin and bear it and deal with it for the rest of the forty times that it's going to happen. But it, it is a wonderful, me- wonderful memory, which makes me about a hundred years old at this point. <laughs> oh shoot! So I want to ask you real quick about this
1: interview of the FIFA president recently. Mm-hmm. Well done, and I don't say that in as you would put it in terms of patting you on the head. Uh, well done. It was a, a, a well thought out interview with good responses that he gave you. Um, many ex-players I know who are in the media don't always think like a journalist, in my opinion. That's neither right nor wrong. It's just kind of the way it is. But in my opinion, my experience with you, you do think like a journalist. You want to be on top of, of the news and what's going on and uh, put in a lot of effort to to do that.
3: Why are you different? I think it comes back to what we talked about earlier in that I am uh, I am I have a huge ego and <laughs> and and I'm not saying that as a joke I know it sounds like that but uh, not not to many people who believe it's absolutely true and I will admit that it's absolutely true and in that sense I I care and to a certain extent worry about how I am perceived in the things that I do and I certainly want to put my best foot forward and so for example, sitting down with Johnny Infantino, and I am, I am not a journalist per se, and certainly not in, anywhere close to you and your colleagues in terms of what you do. However, I felt a responsibility, it being it was his first English language um, interview after uh, assuming the, uh, the presidency of FIFA, to make sure that I asked questions that people out there would have. And so that whether he answered them or not uh, was, was beyond my control. I could certainly push here and there, but I only had a limited time. But I wanted to make sure that at least I asked the questions so that when it was done, people couldn't come at me and say, oh, it was a bunch of softballs and this was a, a setup and this was something that was just orchestrated in order to make Johnny Infantino uh, look good. Now, I, I, like I said, I am not the, a journalist, certainly in, in, in the mold of you of you and others, but I think when when I asked him about Qatar, when I asked him about um, the uh, the disparity in pay between men and women, when we asked about, like I said, the, uh, the work conditions for the uh, World Cup in 2022, those types of things, and obviously the incredible corruption that exists. We certainly didn't even come close to getting to the depth that needs to be gotten to, but um, the reality is I only had a certain amount of time, and I wanted to make sure I hit as many of those things as possible. And... and I'm curious about these things. So, it, like I said, it comes from an ego, probably, and a curiosity that I've had since I was a kid. I grew up in a household where we were constantly taking other sides in order to elicit information and in order to further the discussion. And it was okay to do that, and And it was important that when you are asked questions, that you, you are asked the proper questions and important questions and interesting questions and to hold people to the fire, to their, their feet to the fire to the extent that you can.
1: Nice. Um, switching gears a little bit, you have been a general manager or president for mm-hmm. three teams in MLS, San Jose, uh, New York. Was it the Metro Stars or Red Bulls then?
3: It was the Metro Stars and then into the Red Bulls. So I, I okay. oversaw the actual, the rebrand and the purchase and uh, and and trans you know, transformation, I guess it would be into the Red Bulls. Okay.
1: And obviously the LA Galaxy. Uh, If an MLS team came to you tomorrow and said, we would like for you to be our president or general manager, and we'll buy you out of your Fox contract, would you consider saying
3: yes, if it was the right situation? Would I consider it? Of course I'd consider it. But Here's the deal. I get asked this pretty much every day, and it's either in the form of would you go back to a front office or would you go would you coach?" Um, I love what I do. I love television. It affords me, like I said, an incredible platform to be creative and to perform. And I am hundred percent committed. I am a junkie for television, and I, I'm lucky that I recognized that and was able to have to find a job that, that affords me these opportunities. Uh, I think you would recognize that we come across a lot of people in our business that are using television and and the media, maybe to a certain extent, as a way station, waiting for something better to come along. And I, I get that. I understand that. But uh, I, I do think that you can get away with it for a little bit, but ultimately it will manifest itself in your performance. And you are ultimately not only cheating uh, the viewer, but you are cheating yourself. And I don't I don't want to be that. So if there came a point where I wanted to coach or wanted to get back in the front office, I would do everything in my power to do that. And I don't want to be associated with people that aren't 100% committed to what they're doing because I take this, I don't take myself too seriously, but I take what I do very seriously. So that's a long way of saying, of course, I would consider it, but I have no desire right now to do anything other than what I'm doing. And I, I I think that hopefully makes me good at what I do. And like I said, I want to be surrounded by people that think in the same way about this isn't just uh, something to buy time until something better comes along.
1: Gotcha. Uh, you have a new podcast. It's The Mutant Gene. I think you've had mm-hmm. three episodes, have enjoyed all three, a nice variety of guests, um, from John Strong this past week to... Uh, Victor Mantaliani, the CONCACAF presidential candidate. Who was your first week guest? I forget. Oh, Bruce, Bruce Arena. Oh, yeah, that was fantastic. I can't believe I forgot that. You got him to say all sorts of things. Um, so,
3: what are you hoping to do with this podcast? Well, this is another situation where Fox came to me and said, "Look, we'd we'd like to do this," and and you know probably better than anybody about that the whole landscape of of podcasting and it oftentimes from afar pe- pe- appears to be wonderful and, and very very important and when you get down to the reality of it sometimes it isn't so important or uh, and, and it's much more labor intensive at times than than people realize if you want to do it well um right. so this is without a doubt a work in progress and we've made already plenty plenty of mistakes um and we will continue to make mistakes until we kind of figure it out but as you also know the landscape is littered with podcasts out there and trying to Cut through all of that clutter and do something that isn't done, um, if that's what you want to do, it is not easy. And we also don't want to reinvent, reinvent the wheel because there is, when you're running or in your carpool, or in your car, or in your bus, or on your train, or where most people listens to, listen to podcasts, uh, you want to entertain them and you want to inform them, like, a, like I said. And so for me, I'm using it much more of, uh, of a vehicle to expand on a lot of the for lack of a better word the take the takes that I have uh, on television and when I'm doing uh, when I'm doing games and also to delve into either topics or with personalities and to try to get more and and some more depth out there but but as you said it, it's not necessarily you won't you won't know every one of the guests that I have and I think that that's an okay thing uh, it's not it's not maybe the the best way to get massive listenership is listenership I don't know I mean, listenership yeah. uh, to a podcast but ultimately it has to interest me as well as uh, as the listener and um so i'm you know, i'm just trying to make sure that i get guests that are interesting that have interesting takes on soccer and um and go from there but uh we still got a long way to go <laughs> uh a
1: question i have listen to your podcast there's some pretty decent music that comes on during the interludes is that yours it is
3: actually I am releasing an album and this was not pre-planned so uh, <laughs> thank you for the plug I am releasing an album I uh, probably in the next couple of weeks nice and so for uh, all three of you that are going to get it I appreciate it and, and that includes my mother thanks mom uh so, yeah I've been look I've been doing music before I was doing soccer it's 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 something that I have an equal passion for and something that I take as seriously as 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 soccer, uh, I recognize that that there is a long history of athletes and actors who do music as a, a vanity type of project. But this is something that I've done. I've written and recorded and performed all of my life, and I continue to release music. So the new album's coming out. And I, don't, we, I think we can call them albums. I still call them <laughs> albums. It's ten songs that'll be out uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. And of course, if I have a new podcast and we need music, it certainly makes sense to use my own music for a number of reasons, not the least of which <laughs> doesn't cost anything. So uh, so yes, when you hear the Mutant Gene podcast, those musical interludes are small snippets from the upcoming uh, album that will be out in the next couple of weeks. And you have
1: not even mentioned that on your own
3: podcast, have you? No, 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 no. Just let it seep in. And wow. Just keep... I actually got a a, a, a a tweet the other day from somebody asking what the, what the music was, and I debated whether telling them... <laughs> Uh, because it's kind of like there was there was a um, years ago Donny Osmond released a song, but not under his name, and <laughs> everybody loved the song. It's called Soldier Love, and it was a really cool pop song and everything. And then when it, when people found out that it was Donny Osmond, there was this strange change of perception of what the song was, and so. I kind of just wanted to have it out there so people could hear it. Oh, that's really, really good. And then when they find out it's me, they say, well, maybe it's not so good. So (laughs) so at least I get that moment where the true reaction to it and the authentic reaction is there before I I bring them down to earth and say, yeah, that's actually me. So maybe it'll work in the other direction and they will actually like it that much more.
1: I'll have you know that when I said pretty decent earlier to describe it, I wasn't 100% sure it was your music.
3: So take that pretty decent. I will take that. I will take that. I mean, I've been doing this long enough to know that once people do find out there is a a change of perception, in order for it to be good, (laughs) it has to be really good because automatically you're going to be marked down if you're an actor or an athlete doing music.
1: Oh, shoot. Uh, So on your own podcast recently, you talked about uh, the upfronts, this annual uh, thing where television people uh, meet with Uh, perspective and current advertisers to talk about how they should spend their money uh, in the coming year. You had this crazy trip to seven or eight different cities, uh, and you mentioned that Fox bosses like Jamie Horowitz were there and talking about the direction that Fox Sports is going in. Clearly, that appears to be an opinion-heavy direction. How do you think we'll see that in Fox's soccer coverage?
3: So, yeah, so I went to a bunch of different cities and, and it was interesting t- to me, obviously, with the with the advertisers and either their their current advertisers that you say you, to them, look, you need to spend more money or they are potential advertisers saying this is why you should spend money with us. And uh, what happens is we lay out uh, our, uh, you know, our portfolio of this is what you get. And these are all the incredible things. And whether it's Super Bowl coming up or or World Cup um, or, or all the other different uh, content that we have and soccer for those that watch FS1 and FS2 uh, there, you understand that soccer is a huge part of the content on our uh, on our channel so uh, but, but more interesting for me was to listen to uh, our bosses whether it's Jamie Horowitz or Eric Shanks talk about uh, the, the direction that FS1 is heading and so there's three different things there's live content uh, so live events there is uh, headlines and news, um, and then there is a uh, studio-based type of show and, and opinion-based and personality-driven type of shows. And Fox is betting on the personality and opinion-based shows and live sports. So two out of those three. And they're betting against the, uh, the headline and news type of traditional um, television. So, uh, because and, and the reason why they're doing that is 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 should be obvious to people is people are getting that instantaneously on their mobile and everybody knows what the news is and what the scores are and for many in many cases what those highlights have been right and so now people want to want to hear more context and they want to hear more opinion and this is this is not just something that that jamie horowitz pulled out of you know what this is based on what the customers the most important people out there are telling us now This is not without criticism, Uh, and there are people that that don't believe that this is the road that you need to travel down. I, for one, and and you know this, I love opinion, and I think you're going to see more opinion-based shows. Now, are they opinion-based shows rooted in soccer? Probably not in the immediate, but there are other avenues, and certainly the digital platform, which was also a huge part of the presentation, is going to become more and more important. And outlets for which to give those opinions and to have those personalities have shows, and many of them, or not many of them, but at least some of them, uh, will have soccer aspects to it. I would, uh, I would hope. And if not, then I'm going to make sure that that I that I be uh, that I uh, am out there pushing pushing for it. But but when it comes to sports and soccer, I, I like to hear people's opinions. Why, when I was talking to John Strong on the Mutant Gene podcast the other day, I was talking to him about this concept of having both the play-by-play person and the analyst actually giving opinion because traditionally that is not what happens but I think we are certainly moving more in a direction where live sports isn't going anywhere that is incredibly important and valuable but this opinion and personality uh, based content when when it comes to studio shows and just shows in general I think is going to become more and more important from a Fox perspective and I like it because that's what I like to see now I know I'm not there, there are people that disagree with me out there and there are people that vehemently disagree with the direction that, that Jamie Horowitz is headed to. I'm hoping to get Jamie Horowitz actually on the podcast here in a couple of weeks. But uh, for those that follow the, uh, the television industry, he's, uh, he's probably fielding a lot of calls right now, given the recent news out of ESPN uh, uh, regarding Skip Bayless and all of that. So uh, I hope to get him on and talk about this kind of stuff, because it, it fascinates me the direction that that sports television is heading. Considering what we all grew up on in the traditional type of sports television that's been out there.
1: So here's a question, because you're a guy with opinions. I think you're a likable guy. Uh, <laughs> I just sounded like Obama saying that about Hillary Clinton a few years ago. You're, you're <laughs> Way a likable to preface enough it, person. Girl, <laughs> um, Is it possible to be heavily opinionated and likable?
3: Not if you do it right. It, um, it's not possible? It's not, not if you do it right, because inevitably i i feel that you are going to say something that is going to rub somebody the wrong way now and i and i don't have faith that enough people will be able to have perspective and separate and take a step back and look and say just because i don't agree with this person doesn't mean that i don't like them now there are certain people that can do that i i i think that i'm pretty good at doing that but I, I don't have faith that there's a lot of people out there. And so in that sense, if you are going to have opinion, then I don't think that you're probably, it, it, if it's true opinion and it's consistent opinion, eventually you are going to irritate or even <laughs> offend people with that opinion. And that's, that's okay. I have, I, have no problem, I have no problem with that. So ultimately, I think the answer to your question is no. That's fascinating because I would maybe it's just because I want to
1: see that that's possible to be opinionated. Like for instance, I disagree with you on a fair amount of stuff, yeah. And we'll get to some of this stuff here in a little bit, but I find you eminently likable. And when I disagree with what you're saying, I, I'm not getting angry at you. Right, right, right. Well,
3: I think look, presentation is everything, and and how you lay it out, and and certainly being you know. That, you know, what self-deprecation uh, self and all that kind of stuff right. is important uh, to a certain extent ha- being humble, but I'm not very good at that at times. But also a recognition that, and, and, and I know this 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 gets into a different area, but we are all to a certain extent playing a, a character. And it doesn't mean that you can't be honest and passionate in that character, but we're not seeing the real person regardless of who even on this podcast, you are still playing a character in your host position. It's not the real grant wall. and it's okay. That's okay, people. don't worry about it because you'll never get the real grant wall uh, in in these types of environments. But I, I think that while you may think that that I am likable, so I guess it can happen on an individual basis. but <laughs> generally, I don't think that it can happen. Now, that doesn't mean that people aren't going to continue to listen. Right. Just because you are unlikable doesn't mean that you are Unwatchable, uh, if, if if you put it into our TV thing, and that's uh, and for me, whether you like me or not, to be quite honest, it, it is irrelevant to me. I want you to, I, I want to impact you, and I want to affect you. And while in in today's terms we call that to a certain extent trolling, back back when I was growing up, it was more of you're a provocateur. You you are. You are saying things in order to elicit a reaction. But I, I don't look at that necessarily as a bad thing. I look at it at times at furthering discussion. And at times, if you've ever been involved in a debate or a debate team and stuff like that, it's often a, a, a employed uh, by, uh, by people having arguments and taking different sides. And, and I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. Gotcha.
1: So you're very quick, obviously, to share your opinion on things in your broadcasting, both positive and negative. How do you deal with it when someone like a player or a coach, whether it's an MLs or the national team, does not like what you're saying?
3: Well, first, I wait and i i I guess whether that person is actually going to say anything to me right and ninety nine percent of the time they don't now there's some that that i that I can respect because they recognize that look, this just goes up into the ether and it's gone and they just move on with their life and they could care less what what the redheaded dude on television is saying about them and screaming and yelling. There are others that are just scared to do it. And then there are those that actually do seek me out. And whether it's calling me or uh, texting me or, uh, or, or finding me on the road and saying, hey, you said this and blah, blah, blah. Now, it, it runs the gamut. There are those that have screamed and yelled at me, and and at times their parents or their friends or their girlfriends or their wives. I've gotten all of that. Uh, and then there are those that come at it um, w- with a maturity of saying, you said this, and this is how I feel, and I don't think that this was fair. And I love those conversations because I think, look, I don't have all the answers, and I can certainly make mistakes. And when you are constantly giving your opinion, at times you are going to say things that, that if given the opportunity to say them again, and maybe with even more context and background and discussion, you might adjust. Uh, that, that's, that's okay. That's okay. So um, I, that's, so I, I like when people actually talk to me about these things and I do have conversations with, uh, like I said, with players and coaches and, and at times I am taken to task. Uh, for example, I had a, uh, uh, Someone call me up and take me to task uh, this week for my take on Graham Zuzi, who actually appeared on Sports Illustrated, as we right. know, uh, SI now, um, and did not have his finest moment, shall we say, with regards to the question of uh, equal pay for the men and women. We
1: won't replay the entire uh, exchange like you did on your podcast here. Right?
3: <laughs> Most people have <laughs> well, heard it. I just it thought by it now. was it was wonderful theater, and it was <laughs> fascinating to see, and I think it was. Completely fair and legitimate for uh, for the question to be asked and asked again when the when an answer wasn't given, and I think that Graham Zuzi will admit that it wasn't his finest hour and he should have been more prepared to answer that. And I don't think in any way was it an ambush type of interview. However, uh, I was uh, contacted this week by someone that should remain nameless, uh, and I was taken to task uh, for my take on that situation and my what what I think was referred to as my simplistic uh, take when it comes to equal pay for the men and uh, women, and that it's much more complex uh, and it's and it's not necessarily built for this one hundred and forty character uh, world that we seem to live in now and and it was fair, it was cordial, it was respectful, and I went back and I thought about it. And I look, I don't all I don't necessarily change everything. And I certainly don't always apologize for the things that I say, nor will I apologize in this case. But we had that type of conversation. And those conversations are few and far between where it is respectful like that. But they do happen. You know,
1: one thing I started doing early on in my career, because you're going to write stuff over time that people don't like. And if I know there's someone on my beat who is not going to like something I write, generally opinion related. Mm-hmm. I basically do two things or try every time. One, I'll let them know ahead of time this is coming. Don't always do that, but most of the time. And two, I will let them vent afterward. Yeah. And I don't even say much. And I don't want people who have vented with me. And there's some pretty big soccer names who fall into this group at this point after doing this for 20 years but I don't want them to feel like this is calculated or anything because I actually do want to hear what they say, have to say. But I I, I don't want to get into an argument with them because I feel like I've said my piece already publicly with my name behind it. And then if someone gets the chance to vent and to share their thoughts without me arguing back in their face, that that's a good way to move forward if you're going to be covering that person for a while.
3: Yeah. I mean, and... From a practical perspective, it, it, you can't always have that, and especially when you're constantly giving opinion. Right. Uh, and, and some of this opinion also is, is instantaneous. So I will be asked a question about something, and, and I may or may not have thought about it or prepared for the answer that I'm going to give. And so I can't, I can't always do that. But, but like you said, giving people the opportunity to make their point to you face-to-face, I think it's, I think, I think it's important. Um, and I think it's the right thing to do to people because and and I, I look, I get criticized and have I've spent most of my adult life being uh, being criticized and critiqued. So whatever they get, to be quite honest, oftentimes um the the blowback that I get on a continual basis is 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 much more. But I do think, like you said, that it is important to give people the opportunity, and it's even better when they come at it from a a good perspective and a respectful perspective, and if they want to, if they want to lay you out, that's that's cool too. And and it's important, I think, for us to hear that at times because we do get in that cocoon, and uh, and sometimes we don't know that these words do do go out there, and they do have an impact, and they do have an effect both to the masses, but also to the individuals that may or uh, may be directly or indirectly involved in the stories that we're talking about.
1: Now, one specific figure in U.S. soccer, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, is Jürgen Klinsmann because mm-hmm. right around a year ago at this time, I think you came on the air and, and sort of mentioned that you you and Jürgen weren't getting along too well. Um, has it
3: gotten better since then? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's no. We we don't have a relationship right now with regards to my work. Uh, covering the national team. Okay. All um, right. I, I guess it's it's not the relationship that it was. And through, through I mean, so how do I say this? Um, I, I think about this often because I've known Jurgen Klinsmann for a long time. Right. And I, even to this day, consider him a friend. And I know that I am oftentimes uh, one of his harshest critics. And I have been critical over the years. i I think that I have been fair. And I think if Jurgen was here, he would probably say it's not what you have said. it's how you have said it in the past that has led us to this point. And that's that's, that's fair enough, and i can I can I can respect that. But um, i am I am comfortable with my criticism of Jurgen Klinsman. and I think it has been uh, fair, and I think it has been reasonable. To, to bring up things that he has said, things that he has promised, and then obviously, actually, the, the performances on the field with regards to Jürgen Klinsmann. I think Jürgen Klinsmann, uh, who has worked in television, needs to, un, to uh, at times understand that, once again, I am in the entertainment business, and the way I go about entertaining may be a little bit different than the way he would go about doing it. And different strokes. And he may look at it as at times I am being less than respectful in the way that I go about criticizing him, and not necessarily from an X's and O's perspective, but the words that I choose and the the way that I choose to paint the situation, and whether it's analogies or references that he doesn't particularly like, you know, ultimately I I I get that and I can respect that, but um, I'm still able to do my job, but it's you know it's I'm not getting an invitation to Thanksgiving.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, are you surprised that a guy like Klinsman, who has been in these very high-pressure situations as a player, winning a World Cup, uh, as a coach, coaching Germany, uh, higher-profile positions than the one he currently has as the U.S. coach, are you surprised at times that he can be... i got to be
3: honest, my term would be thin-skinned. No, uh, because I think he rightfully recognizes the landscape in that while we all want and recognize that it, that the, the media landscape is nothing compared to what it is in Germany and other places in that sense we benefit from being some of the only voices out there and therefore oftentimes the messengers and therefore at times where in other countries and cultures that message would just be dispersed very quickly and and forgotten very quickly it tends to resonate more because there are fewer voices and I think he recognizes that being able to control that message within the soccer community and we we know that it doesn't resonate outside the soccer community but within the soccer community he recognizes that at times when you say something and certainly at times when I say something it may have a greater impact than it would in other cultures where there's 10 or 20 of us doing the exact same thing on a daily basis. And so in that sense, I think, I think he's, he's right and very smart in recognizing that to the extent that he can try to control it and to the extent that he can try to make sure that his displeasure is understood and recognized and acknowledged by, by us. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, it's not surprising to me and and it's not necessarily thin skinned. in a traditional type of way. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess I understand what you're saying, but I think it's actually much more strategic. Okay, interesting. So I'm going to skip ahead
1: here to embrace debate, is what I'm calling this. Uh, <laughs> and here's some topics. I'm going to ask you some questions uh, for your opinions on some things. and I picked some because I think I might have a different opinion than yours. And so I'd like to go back and forth a little bit here, if sure, possible. Sure. My first question for you. Should Abby Wambach have apologized for saying Jurgen Klinsmann was playing too many, quote, foreign guys on the U.S. men's national team?
3: No. Why? Well, because I, I assume that she meant it, <laughs> you know, and I haven't seen any, anything to the contrary. And so if she was going to apologize, I would think she would have done it immediately, but she hasn't. And so therefore, I have to believe that she meant it. And so if you mean it, then own it. And so, no, don't apologize. Now, if I was her, would I have elaborated or gone on and talked more about it, and maybe give a more nuanced type of answer to the question? Yeah, but we haven't heard anything, and so, therefore, I to a, to a certain extent, whether I agree or not once again, is irrelevant with regards to her apologizing. I want her to own it, and I have to respect the fact that since she hasn't come out and said anything, that she believes in what she says, she is owning it, I respect her for it, and no, she shouldn't apologize unless she feels she has something to apologize for, which, given the time that we've seen where she hasn't said anything, she obviously doesn't.
1: So here's why she should apologize, Alexi, and this is in part because you go back to the Women's World Cup last year where she alleged that the referee was targeting certain U.S. players for yellow cards to get them suspended. It was She, I I think, believed this in what she said after the game, but then she came and apologized because she realized that she kind of needed to, for one thing, but also that it was the right thing to do and a ridiculous accusation to make. This was a ridiculous thing to say, and it wasn't even true, for one thing. These are not foreign guys. These are Americans, just like you and me, on the U.S. men's national team. And clearly, there is a continuing problem with the U.S. men's players, at least some of them, who have continued to occasionally say things in public forums like Twitter. Uh, I think Abby Wambach, in my opinion, is usually pretty thoughtful about things. And I think in this case, she wasn't. And I would like to see her apologize.
3: Um, But you want to see her apologize because you think that she's wrong. That's part of the reason.
1: It was also, I think it would be, uh, it would be the right thing to do. Yes.
3: Oh, well, that's different though. If it's the right thing to do because it helps her out of a jam or it, or it furthers her opportunities going forward off the field, that's, that's not really an apology. If, if, if she's going to apologize, I want her to apologize because she doesn't believe the thing that she said or she recognizes after further thought that, you know what, that's not right. I think she might actually recognize it at this point,
1: but I don't have her on the podcast. Today. Well, why
3: wouldn't she? Why wouldn't she? I mean, I, look, I don't I don't run her show and, and she has plenty of people that that do agents and managers and that thing. It's it's been a very loud silence with regards to this. Now, is she, you think she's just trying to let it go and just let it let it uh, let it dissipate? I don't know for sure. I mean, she's had other
1: more serious things to apologize for that recently. Is true. That so, is true. um, moving on to the next question. I just added this one. We were talking about Copa America earlier. You had sure. said recently that uh the idea of having the Copa America Centenario continue in the future as a Copa America of the Americas and having CONCACAF teams like the US and Mexico involved on a regular basis that you don't support that. Mhm. Why not?
3: Two reasons. Uh, number one, because uh, I believe that, and and this was uh, actually a question that Johnny uh, Infantino threw back at me during our during our interview. If I am the president of FIFA, I don't want anything taking away from the most important prize out there, which is the men's World Cup. Now, when I say it, it's not, it's not that the women's World Cup isn't important, but from a business standpoint, running the FIFA. The recognition that you don't want anything detracting from the men's World Cup—that uh, that is important. There's a reason why the Olympics are under 23 when it comes to the men, because they don't want an, just another World Cup happening. And so, while I have no problem with Copa America becoming big and and uh, continuing to grow and evolve, when you start to mix those two, you get closer and closer to a World Cup. And I don't I don't want anything taking away from the men's world cup and i believe that it would take away uh, from the men's world cup the the second reason and maybe even more important is i do believe in concacaf and i do believe in our region and i want to get to a point where the gold cup is rivals copa america or the gold cup rivals the euros and i know that's a long way away but that is something that i think needs to be looked at and worked upon rather than saying well if you can't if you can't beat them join them find a way to beat them and and in doing so create something special for yourself so you know those are a couple of reasons why i don't support it so what's wrong with this plan okay
1: every 4 years when the copa america currently takes place the year after the world cup you have a copa america involving north and south america and central america all of these teams and then if you want in 2 years after that or a year after that, you can have your gold cup as well. And that would keep the Caribbean islands happy. They would have a competition. There's currently two gold cups, which is kind of ridiculous, I think.
3: <laughs> did you just you pat know? the Caribbean islands on the head?
1: I think I just did. <laughs> and, but that would keep them happy. But then for teams like the U.S. and Mexico, who can really use the the better competition and to be part of Copa America. And for the South American teams, which really could use a 16-team tournament because they only have 10 countries and have ridiculous guest countries come to the Copa America anyway right now. This would be like a Euro, and it would finally bring something of real stature, a tournament between World Cups that would provide accountability for the U.S. in a way that we just don't see now
3: between World Cups. What on earth is wrong with that? Well, it's, it's not like a Euro, because Euro is Europe. What's the point of having confederations then? <laughs> why, why why are we having these confederations if we're constantly mixing and mingling uh, with them? There's a reason, you know, to have these confederations, and ultimately they have their championship within that confederation. And so, rather than patting the uh, the Caribbean teams on the head, you give them their championship, and and that is the most important. And I know, I look, I don't discount the fact that for the United States from a from a soccer perspective, or Mexico from a soccer perspective having the ability to play in this tournament on a consistent basis is certainly helpful. But how does that help the Caribbean teams? Well, for one,
1: Caribbean teams are getting into the combined Copa America. You will see Haiti and Jamaica this summer on Fox if you're doing your research, preparing for the tournament. I gotta Uh, get on that. And <laughs> and then also too, I, you know, the Gold Cup can still become a a thing. Especially maybe it will gain. Well, it's more not going to be a
3: thing, Grant. It's it, going to
1: become even worse. No, no, no. If it's like once every four years, I'm okay with that. You know, and and if. It happens to be that the U.S. and Mexico want to try out experimental rosters and help the Caribbean teams maybe win that tournament. Good for them. But my guess is
3: if you still have a Confederations Cup. Now you have the Gold Cup with experimental rosters? (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, sign me up for that. Boy, there's there's a -a thrill-a-minute type of tournament that I want to be a part of. Then
1: again, the idea of a Confederations Cup berth on the line will make sure that I would think experimental rosters would be unlikely.
3: All right. We'll agree to disagree.
1: <laughs> okay. Moving on. Jason Kreiss is the most sort of, uh, interesting available free agent on the MLS coaching market. These days, Jason Kreis's next MLS coaching job will be what?
3: Uh, let's see. Well, yeah, I mean, he has been Jurgen's right hand man, evidently, uh, over the last couple of months. So he's been in, in camp with, uh, with the national team, is he just kind of biding his time? And if something were to go drastically wrong in uh, the centenario this this summer, could could he possibly take over that? Uh, I could definitely see that. Wow. Yeah.
1: So you're not even saying MLS; you're saying U.S. national team. Yeah. That to me seems not likely, right? Based on what happened in in New York, the guy didn't you know he lasted one season. Team didn't do well. I. I Maybe the Jason Kreis
3: of two or three years ago uh, might have been but, in that. But position. so then the other logical, from an MLS perspective or from a club perspective, is everyone points to Seattle because they're struggling, and you know Ziggy's seat is hot up there, and and obviously the you know the relationship that uh, he has had with Garth. But I don't see that as such a logical type of thing uh, to happen. Now I I I think that, and this is completely just from the outside. I would think that Garth Lagerwey is waiting for that moment to make a change up there. Now, whether it ends up being a change that involves price coming in, I, I, I don't think that that, that is as, as uh, logical as many people out there think. But I do think that Garth Lagerwey wants a kind of clean slate to be able to start something on his own with his own hire.
1: See, I think it's going to come down to Seattle or L.A. for Jason Kreiss. This is the last year of Bruce Arena's contract. Uh, Chris Klein, the president of the L.A. Galaxy, very close to Jason Kreiss, as mm-hmm. is Garth Lagerway. Yep. And so you have uh, an intriguing situation here. These are two of the plum jobs in MLS, and they might both be open soon. So Jason Kreiss, I think, is in a pretty good spot here. I think right now... I'm leaning a little towards Seattle, but I could also very easily see
3: L.A. Ooh. Well, regardless if it's if it's if it's Seattle or L.A., I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Jason Christ looks like after his time at NYCFC, because I think, you know, while it wasn't deemed successful, I think that he's going to have a massive chip on his shoulder. And that's a good thing uh, to to prove people that, look, that was just a, a nuthouse there And while I learned and certainly made mistakes, uh, this is who I really am. And I love people that are put in situations where they have something to prove. And I think Jason Kreiss, regardless of where it ends up being, will will come armed with lessons that he learned and certainly that chip on his shoulder with something to prove.
1: Last question, and this is connected partly to Detroit, your Mm -hmm. hometown, uh, having... MLS expansion getting much more serious this week with uh, two NBA owners uh, announcing a proposal to get an MLS team, uh, uh, the Pistons and the Cavs owner. Um, And my question to you, is MLS expanding too
3: fast? Okay well first just let me say something about Detroit. It warms the cockles of my Detroit <laughs> heart to to know that this is now uh, looking very very good and very positive with regards to Detroit uh, MLS. It's not without challenges uh, and it's not without plenty of risk uh, for those that, that know Detroit but, uh, but it also shows what happens when you have prominent ownership deep, uh, deep pockets, local connections that you you jump to the head of the line very, very quickly, especially um, when you have potential stadium plans uh, in mind. Uh, are they expanding too early? Look, you, you, you've been around, you, you know that this league, when it comes to MLS, was built uh, with the constant reminder of not repeating the same mistakes that were made in the past. and And some of those mistakes with regards to the NASL were rapid expansion, dilution of the product, and an inability to handle that type of expansion. Now, 2016, the soccer landscape is very, very different. Uh, And I think you would agree, both the infrastructure and the actual soccer on the field. We are in a very, very different time than the 70s and 80s. Uh, Having said that, I, I think we do have to be wary of just because a community on the surface seems logical, or has screamed and yelled and, and looks like it deserves an MLS team doesn't mean that it should happen. So I think they have to be very, very strategic. And I think a lot of the, the cities that we've talked about, there is an existing fan base and that's a good thing. Local ownership is is huge and important. It doesn't have to be major markets uh, anymore. And some of these smaller mid-sized markets I think are really, really good. But I I think it's hard for ownership, especially ownership that's been around since, the ni- since 1996, to throw back these $100-plus plus uh, million dollar, uh, franchise fees, and I don't think that it, they are going to. I think they're going to continue to expand. Uh, ultimately, is that a good thing? I think it's okay right now, but at a certain point, look, we're going to go to, what, 28 now? Yes. Um, I think we're getting into that territory right now where we are at risk of making some of the mis- the same mistakes that we made back in the seventies and eighties. With, with, with admittedly, it's not the same time, but we're we're getting up there where we might have to put that cork in it for a little bit.
1: Here's what I would say: is that I am concerned about the depth of the American talent uh, that's being developed that currently exists as far as filling rosters. I would like to see as they expand even more more international slots yeah. on on uh, the rosters because you're not going to survive without that. I do think in comparison to the NASL's expansion, this is why the single entity exists, right? Is to to prevent what happened with the NASL. So I don't think in expansion terms, that's necessarily an issue. And I actually would love to see MLS get up to 40 and have two 20 team leagues and promotion and relegation between them.
3: Yes, but you know the promotion relegation crowd out there was, will tell you that that is a bastardized version of promotion relegation. So what? It and, and in that sense, it 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 just plays into all of their fears and suspicions in that this is a completely fabricated uh, and different type of promotion relegation and therefore lacks any type of authenticity. But, but uh, you, you said something there that I thought was interesting in terms of adding international spots in order to make up for that lack of depth that you fear is out there and therefore... Uh, that that's part of the reason why you you worry about expansion. Do you think that MLS has a responsibility to the American player or the North American player when it comes to Canada? Obviously, in order to give them opportunities, because I've argued for many years that I, I don't. I think that the 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 restrictions should just just be taken off. If you feel that for your market and for your team. You can have all international players and you, and that's what you want to do. I think you should be given the opportunity to do that. But do you think that MLS has a responsibility to, to structure it so that there are opportunities for American players?
1: I do, and I think it's connected to the vast amounts of money con- involved with the television contract that MLS gets as the result of U.S. soccer being part of that deal. So very long story short... I don't know how many people know this, U.S. soccer's television rights are tied to MLSs. And so U.S. soccer is clearly doing a solid for MLS. Yeah, it's like in, bundling.
3: You know when you pay your cable and all that kind of thing? People bundle it. Sometimes you get stuff that you don't necessarily want, but you'll pay for it because you have to get everything.
1: And in return, I think MLS owes U.S. soccer for it.
3: Ah, that's, a, that's an interesting way to come at it. Interesting. So I like that idea
1: uh we could be here for forever my friend i know you have a crazy busy schedule so thanks for taking so much time this was a lot of fun make sure to check out alexi's new weekly podcast the mutant gene thanks for
3: coming on always a pleasure my friend
0: Thanks so much to Alexi Lawless for taking the time. That was a fascinating interview. Uh, Alexi, always entertaining uh, and opinionated. Next time we talk to you guys, Leicester City could be the Premier League champions, so keep that in mind. Uh, Thanks so much to Grant Wall and Brian Strauss for joining us as well. Alex Abnos is our producer. I am Avi Creditor. We will talk to you next week on the Planet Football Podcast.